Okay, let's pray, shall we? Father, we thank you that we can gather together today and celebrate your goodness, celebrate your love, celebrate your presence, worship you. And God, we just pray as we gather around your word that it would be a lamp to our feet, it would be a light to our path, it would guide us, it would lead us uh, at this time. And Lord, I pray that you just do something in us by the power of your Holy Spirit as we listen to your word. We thank you that it's not dull, but your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it just sorts things out on the inside of us and uh, helps us to align our lives uh, with your plans and your purposes and your character. So have your way in us. Have your way through us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you haven't already figured out, we are living at a time which the Bible describes as being, on one hand, difficult, troublesome, perilous, and yet on the other, tremendously exciting. I mean, it seems that right now we're living in the middle of a problem. Anyone else feel like that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, On one hand, we see COVID, we see mandates, we see traffic light system. uh, But we also see lawlessness increasing. We see men's hearts failing them through fear. We see Satan's onslaught against our families, against our children, against our moral uh, values. And yet, on the other side... Uh, We see God moving powerfully by his Holy Spirit with unprecedented numbers of people coming to know Jesus Christ. Uh, The reality is we can't avoid the problems of life, but we can overcome them. And if you, like me, believe that we have been born for such a time as this, if if you, like me, believe that it's no mistake that we are born into this season, into this time, then you've got to also believe that if God has placed us in this place at this time, then he is able to create us and give us an overcoming spirit for the days that we live in. Um, The bigger the problem that we're facing, the bigger the opportunity for victory. Uh, John 16.33 says, in the world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And Romans 8, 37, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Why don't you just turn to the person next to you and say, we are supposed to be more than conquerors. You know, it's, it's one thing to be born an overcomer, it's another thing to overcome. It's one thing to be destined for victory. It's another thing to have and experience and maintain that victory through life's problems. And that's why this morning I just want to share some keys to living victoriously despite the problems of life. And I'm going to get you to turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. If you've got your Bibles with you, Uh, it'll be on the big screen in the NIV version there. And a little bit of background to these uh, verses After King Solomon's death, uh, the kingdom of Israel was split into the ten tribes of Israel and the two tribes um, of Judah. Firstly, Asa and then his son Jehoshaphat came to the throne of Judah. And Asa had left Judah in an absolute mess when Jehoshaphat came to the throne. Uh, Jehoshaphat wasn't a perfect man, but he had a heart after God. And therefore, the Lord was with him. 
And he actually turned the nation of Judah back to God. And things were going incredibly well for Judah and to, for Jehoshaphat. And then we come to 2 Chronicles 20. Uh, as Judah's enemies came about, uh, came against her. And we read how the Moabites, the Ammonites and the Midianites joined, joined forces to attack Judah. And just a little bit of um, background to those guys. Every time you read those, think of attacks of the flesh. Uh, in symbolism uh, in the Bible, the Moan Moanites, the Moabites, and the uh, Ammonites. Uh, these guys, they're the father of those nations, each of them, Moab and Ammon, were the results of an incestuous relationship. And so those two tribes specifically always represent the flesh. How many have ever had an attack of the flesh besides me? Yeah? Yeah, right. So we're going to read this. Uh, in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, starting at verse 3, and I've just picked out some verses to give you a sense of of what's going on, so I'm not going to read every verse. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and said, O our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. And all the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones stood there before the Lord. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, and he said, Listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours but God's. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. O Judah and Jerusalem, don't be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. Jehoshaphat bowed with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. Verse 20. Early in the morning, as they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness, as they went out at the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. And as they began to sing and praise, the Lord sent ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. What a great story that one is. What, that is one of my favorite chapters. It is so good, and it's one of my favorites because it's got some great prayers in there. Um, we can very rarely overcome life's problems in our own strength. In fact, in Jeremiah 17, it says, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes man his strength. And it goes on and says, But blessed is the man who trusts in God and makes God his strength. Uh, what do you do when you don't know what to do? Uh, Jehoshaphat prayed, O oh God, 
We have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. You turn your eyes from the problem to our God, who is the answer to our problems, and you cry out to God. You focus on him. Focus is so important. Uh, It's important day to day, but it's also really, really important when you are having battles. Uh, My dad was a really keen photographer, and he built a studio in the back of our garage, and this was long before the days of colour photography, so he used to do black and whites, and he was quite a good artist as well, and uh, dad would uh, take these um, uh, black and white films, and he had quite a large enlarger, and he would blow them up, um, get big prints, uh, a four-size prints at least, and then he would paint them. And so uh, my brother and I have got a, a few photos of Dad's paintings that he did, and uh, they're quite spectacular. As we got older, we realized that this magnificent enlarger that Dad had stashed away in the back had some quite good internals, including a massive um, lens. And we found that if we took that lens out of the enlarger, we could do all sorts of things with it. And as any uh, young boy will know, when you get uh, a big lens, not only can you um, sizzle ants, but but you can set fire to anything that you would like. And uh, that's what we did. it was interesting. Dad caught me at the back of the uh, the shed one time, which was full of of uh, straw packaging, about to start a fire, <laughs> sitting in the middle of this. But the enlarger lens works by focus. It takes the sun's rays, which are all scattered, focuses it to a narrow beam, and because of the narrowness, the pinpoint of that focus, uh, tremendous heat is generated. Focus is so important when you're trying to deal with a problem because if you're solely focused on the problem, you miss the solution. And the way you get your eyes off of the problem onto the solution is to start off by calling out to God. And the very first thing that Jehoshaphat does is seek God. It says that uh, Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Fasting is a real, real key in focus. Fasting is a real key in breakthrough. If you haven't made fasting as part of your uh, godly disciplines, I, I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you to start. And if you can't for some reason uh, fast because of medical condition, try a partial fast. Do something. Put aside something so you can spend the time praying. And uh, it has incredible, incredible power in fasting. Uh, God's 
grace is what is needed in every situation that we face. His grace is his empowering presence, enabling us to be all that he has planned us for us to be and to do all that he's planned and purpose for us to do. When you have a problem, where do you first focus? Is it on the problem or is it on God? Jehoshaphat and his people had no plan, no power, no allies. They didn't know what to do, but they believed God for an answer. When I was thinking about Pastor Paul Diong, who has been a great friend over the years, uh, I began to think of all the times that God has amazingly and supernaturally intervened in people's lives and worked miracles. My mind turned back to my days as a young, inexperienced minister in India. And I was up at a village. I was praying for people at the end of the meeting. And the men of the village carried a man up to the front. This man had... um, multiple compressed fractures in his spine. He had fallen down a well. Uh, he had been in hospital for three months, but they'd sent him home basically a cripple. He couldn't walk, couldn't work. He was in constant pain. And I saw them carry this guy up, and I'm thinking, God, help me. I've got enough faith for headaches, but <laughs> broken backs. <laughs> I don't know whether my faith is up there. But anyway, I prayed as I, as I always did. And you know what? I felt absolutely nothing. Sometimes when I pray, my hands burn. I sense the power of God. Uh, my faith goes to another level. I see miraculous healing straight away. This time I prayed and nothing. So I just went on to the next person. And then I went on to the next person. Then I turned around at a commotion as this crippled guy had jumped up and was running around the church uh, praising God because he had been completely, completely healed by the power of God. And that's what I am believing for uh, Pastor Paul Diong as well. What do you do when you don't know what to do? You cry out to God and you expect an answer. Uh, God wants not only to help you in your situation, uh, but he wants to help your friends, your neighbours, your workmates. He wants to pour out his love on the city. He wants to give hope to the hopeless. He wants to give peace to those that are living in fear. He wants to give healing to the sick, freedom to those that are bound, forgiveness to those living in sin. Uh, the question on many people's lips at the moment is vaxxed or not vaxxed. Isn't that true? But the more important question is saved or not saved. That's the question that's going to determine people's eternity. And we can get so focused on the things that are happening around about us. And those things are important. And those things are troublesome. And those things are changing people's lives. But the greatest question or not is saved or non-saved. And we need to get our eyes back onto what we are called to do and what we're called to do as a church. And that is to reach the lost. You know, God's Word says that He wants all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He says, call unto me, 
and I'll answer you and show you great and mighty things. He says, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro over the whole earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. And so if you are going through a real dark time at the moment, remember that if your heart is God's, you're in his hands. I love that verse in um, Proverbs 21. It says, the heart of a king is like streams of water in the hands of the Lord. He can turn it this way and that. And that works for us. It works for the leaders in our city. And it works for the leaders of our nation. God can change hearts. And many of us are praying for that right now. God's word is living, it's active, it's powerful. We need to take hold of those scriptures and we need to start to apply them in our lives. The second thing we need to do besides calling out to God is to develop a heart of worship. Uh, Jehoshaphat and his people had a heart to praise and worship God. They hadn't even started the battle when they were praising God. They appointed men to lead the troops, as it were, by going out, singing praise and singing worship to God. Wow, that is a principle that we need to learn. There is something in the heart of man that can't be satisfied by anything else but God. Uh, we are, were created to worship God. We have within us an invisible yet indisputable call to draw near to God in worship. Uh, I've had the opportunity to visit both India and Africa, and uh, on a number of those trips, I've seen weaver birds. And uh, that's the African one there. Uh, see it in a uh, acacia tree, basically. And uh, they have hundreds of these nests like that. Uh, they build the nests with reeds, and they have a hole in the bottom of the nest. Really, really unique in terms of, uh, of nests. Uh, a famous ornithologist took eggs from the African weaver bird and he raised them in a cage through five generations in his laboratory. In other words, he took the eggs, he hatched the eggs in the lab uh, in a cage, then uh, waited for them to grow up when they matured. He then took those ones and he uh, bred them got the eggs, uh, and he did that through five generations. So five generations of birds had never been out of the wild, never seen anything but a cage in a laboratory. He took the fifth generation birds back to their natural habitat, and the first thing they did was find reeds, line their nests with silky grass, and made holes in the bottom. How did they know that? They were created with that on the inside. It was part of their DNA. How much more have you and I been created with a hunger and a thirst for God, which can only be satisfied in a relationship with God when we learn to worship him? J.B. Phillips, the person who wrote the Phillips translation, said, there is a God-shaped vacuum in each one of us, and only he can fill it. The Westminster Catechism says, the chief end of man is to worship God and to enjoy him forever. 
We need to learn to praise and worship God in every situation. Often I will go down in, the, in uh, my garden, walking amongst the trees there, and I'll just start to sing. And I have to believe that God has a filter on my voice. So all he hears is my heart <laughs> rather than the, ver- the words that come. It's like one of those um, auto-corrections that singers have. The, the software these days can, can uh, result in a pitch correction. So you're always singing on tune. Well, I reckon that's what God's got for each and every one of us so that he hears our heart. But 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It doesn't say give thanks for all circumstances. There are some circumstances that you don't thank God for. There are some circumstances that the enemy brings upon you that are designed to pull you down. You don't thank him for that. But in the middle of every circumstance, you can thank God. In the middle of every circumstance, you can turn your heart towards praise and worship. And when we worship, God comes. God inhabits the praises of his people. King David said, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. You see, praise demonstrates a heart towards God. Praise develops a heart towards God. Praise brings the presence of God into a situation. And oh, how we need God's presence in the day that we walk. How we need God's presence in the situations that we face. Uh, If we want revival in our city, then we've got to become worshippers. If you want God to come into your situation, become a worshipper. Focus on the answer, not the problem. A great example of that is found in Acts chapter 16, where Paul and Silas, who had been preaching the gospel in Philippi, were unjustly arrested. They were unjustly beaten. They were unjustly thrown into prison. And then it says in verse 25, it says, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. All at once the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. You know, that's the miraculous power of God to deliver from bondage as a result of the cry, the praise, the worship of his people. And it's interesting that when Paul and Silas were praying and praising, everyone was listening. And when God answered, everybody was set free. Everybody was set free. And when you learn to worship in the middle of a storm, when you learn to worship in the middle of difficult situations and circumstances, people around about you will be listening. People around about you at your workplace will be watching. They will watch how you handle the storms of life far more so than how you handle the peaks, the mountaintops, the good times. Because people want to know how they can get through their difficult times and they don't have Jesus. People are looking for an answer. And when they see that God answers prayer, they want to know him and they want to be set free. It was interesting, uh, one of our people who lost a job at work uh, was approached by four of her workmates who wanted her to have a Bible study with them. They're not Christians. They wanted her to run a Bible study for them and teach them about 
what's going to happen in the end times? And I thought, help. I hope it scares the hell out of them. <laughs> what a great opportunity. What a great opportunity. 2 Chronicles 20, verse 21. Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness. And as they went out at the head of the army saying, Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord sent ambushes against the men of Ammon, Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah and they were defeated. Cry out to God, develop a heart of worship towards God and then position yourself to receive God's promises. Uh, Verse 16 says, Stand firm and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. Remember, we are not fighting against flesh and blood. Ephesians 6 verse 10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. You know, in these troublesome times, it's very easy for us to get our eyes off the pro- get our eyes off the cause of the problem, and we we run around trying to squash the fruit of it rather than the cause of the problem. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore. Put on the full armour of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then. It's interesting that it says, when the day of evil comes. Things are going to get worse from time to time. Just read your Bible, see what happens in the end days. But in the midst of things getting worse out in the air in the world, Jesus said, hey, I've overcome all that. Just stay stay in me. Stay in me. Get your focus on me. But realize we're not fighting against flesh and blood. It's a spiritual battle. As together Judah cried out to God, he answered them. As they began to praise and worship God together, as they positioned themselves Together to receive God's promised victory, God moved. And we read that God sent ambushes against those guys. When the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked towards the vast army, they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped. We're not told how they killed, how God killed them, but however it was, it was pretty instant. Nobody ran away. The whole lot got wiped out. And so Jehoshaphat and his men went to carry off their plunder and they found among them a great amount of equipment and clothing and articles of value, more than they could take away. There was so much plunder that it took three days to collect it. So just picture this. At the start of this, they're getting invaded by an army that they have got no power over. It is so big, it looks certain that they're going to be wiped out. They call out to God. God intervenes on their behalf. And in the end, it takes them three days to pick up all the spoil from the victory that has just happened. There's going to be victories, people. 
God is able to turn all things together for good. This COVID thing, what has taken COVID a year or so to do, God can overturn in a moment. I have to think that there is a greater plan. I have to think God can turn all things together for good. He could wipe out that disease straight away. But I have to think that God is able to work all things together for good. Therefore, he can work his plans, his purposes, and he can bring about an increase in his kingdom as a result of what's happening here on earth. How many people remember the illustration I gave a few weeks back about the smallpox um, epidemics at the uh, beginning of the um, second century? Do you remember that? No? No? Okay. So basically back then, uh, there was two smallpox ep- epidemics. They lasted for about 100 years. At the beginning of that epidemic, the amount of uh, Christians was about 40,000. It was less than 0.1% of the Roman Empire. A generation after the smallpox epidemics, Christianity was the major religion in Rome, more than 50% of the whole of the empire, have become Christian. Why? Because during that time of adversity, it was the Christians who were running to their neighbours and helping them. It was the Christians who were praying for everyone. And while the Romans were retreating, the Christians were using that time to minister to people. And so thousands upon thousands, tens of thousands of people, in fact, hundreds of thousands of people gave their lives to Jesus Christ as a result of the way the Christians stood up during a time of adversity. And uh, doesn't it say that there's going to be gross darkness covering the earth? But it starts off by saying, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord settles on you. This is not a time to retreat. This is a time to stand up and let the character of Christ be shown in every situation that we find ourselves in. But there is a different strategy for every situation. We're focused on this one where God says specifically, stand and see the salvation of your God. On other times, God says, run, run, run. It's like um, an example of that was Joseph when he's being tempted by Potiphar. God didn't say, stand and see what I'll do. He said, run, and, and Joseph did. Other times he may stay, say, be still. I know that I'm God. Other times he might say, sow a seed. In this case that we've been reading about, he says, the battle is mine. You stand. Every situation is difficult, is different. So it's important that when we cry out to God, we cry out for wisdom to know how to act at this particular time. Okay, And uh, that's what we've been doing as a church. Uh, Those of you who have read the letter sent out, you'll know that our heart goes out to those people who are in difficulty at this time. Uh, Some people have lost their jobs. Some people have lost their careers. That's not easy. 
And so as we prayed about this and talked about this as a um, leadership team, we really felt that it was important for us over the next six weeks to take a step back and stand with those who are having a real difficult situation. And so we decided that we would move to online services just for the next six weeks. We are planning for what will happen after that. Still, things are changing every week with respect to the red light, uh, which is probably what Northland is going to go into. Uh, For instance, uh, just this last few days, they've announced that uh, under red, we can have meetings of up to 25 without uh, passports. So that just opens up a whole pile of opportunities for those people who aren't vaccinated. Uh, still, there are those who want to stay in a vaccinated group. Still, there are those uh, that can't mix, but things are changing, and we just want to uh, just take a step back, take a breather. But what we will be trying to do is to stay connected to as many people as we can. And so that's why I'm wanting before the Sunday um, broadcast service uh, to set up groups of people who will watch it so that we can also have a Zoom meeting just from the Whangarei campus so that we can um, share what's, what's going on, what the, what the news is, where we're going, what's happening, that sort of thing. And so look out for that. I'll be emailing you about that in the next couple of weeks. I don't think it will happen this this Sunday, but it definitely will happen for the following Sunday. Okay, we'll have groups set up and we will have a Zoom meeting. Probably I'm picking at quarter to 11, so it's before the 11 o'clock um, service. So if you people like uh, watching the 9 o'clock service, you can still join us for uh, the quarter to 11. And if you're watching the 11 o'clock service, you can still join us at that time. So on one hand, we know that In the natural, we're overwhelmed, that our talents and our resources are not enough. But God says, use what you have in reliance on me. The disciples, how how can we feed this crowd of 5,000? Well, the reality is they couldn't. But what have they got in their hands? Five loaves, a couple of fish, and Jesus is enough to feed the 5,000. Moses' staff. Now, there's a time when Moses was in the backside of the desert tending sheep. He sees a burning bush. And because he saw that the bush was not consumed, he went over to have a look. And when he went over to check it out, God spoke to him. During the conversation, Moses' insecurities arose. And God said to him, what have you got in your hand? And he had a shepherd's staff, tools of the trade. God said to him, throw it down. It was was like he was surrendering his business. It was like he, he was surrendering his career. He threw the rod down before God. And um, when he picked it up again, it wasn't the rod of Moses anymore. It was the rod of God and Moses. And there was an anointing that came upon that. And if you follow Moses' journey through Egypt, you'll recognize that it was that rod that God worked through to bring about his mighty miracles. You know, there are people here, and you need to, at this time, you need to lay down some things before God. 
some things that you've held on to. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your family situation. I don't know. But there are things that it doesn't hurt to surrender to God afresh. And every time I have done that in surrender, God has given me back something amazing. I remember learning that lesson as a younger fella. I was in an Anglican prayer meeting. Uh, Before work, I'd go to this because I got born again in an Anglican uh, context at university. And I was at this prayer meeting this one morning, and uh, I'd been going out with a few girls in church, and, and I got to this prayer meeting, and I said, oh, God, that's it. I've had enough of this. I'm sick of all this dating thing. Um, Lord, I give up. I will marry whoever you want me to. And I opened my eyes. I looked straight across the room, and no kidding, I said, even if it's her. It was Penny <laughs> sitting there. <laughs> God, God heard, heard my heart cry. And he had someone I didn't even know. <laughs> and by the way, you can, go up, you can go up to Penny afterwards. She's heard this many times before, even if it's her. But the reality is, seriously, it was that point of surrender that God took my heart and said, yeah, I've got something really good for you. I've got the best for you. You just can't see it. Now, open your eyes. <laughs> now. <laughs> and, um, yeah, we've been married for nearly 46 years. How she's put up with me, I don't know. <laughs> but we've had, a great, we've had a great marriage. It's been absolutely fantastic. But it started with a point of surrender. And there are things that you have to lay down before God will allow you to pick them up. And when you pick them up, they will be different. They will be God. They will be God. James 4.7 says, Submit yourself then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Let's have the musicians. You know, God is the God who can work everything for good. He's the one who wants all New Zealand to be saved. Amen? Yeah, he's the one who has promised to pour out his spirit on all flesh. Uh, He's the one who said in the end times, there's going to be a revival greater than anything we have ever seen before. That's happening. We're living in end times. We've been living in end times for the last 2,000 years, I know. Uh, But we're getting closer and closer and closer. God is preparing this earth for end time revival and he's the one who's promised to pour out his whole spirit uh, his holy spirit but we've got to learn in problem situations we've got to learn to cry out to god develop a heart of worship towards god and position yourself to receive god's promises take a stand trust god and see what he'll do